1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh hey he- hello everyone! Once again, it's your girl Reb Maisel with the Rebuttal Pod, posting part two to our part one episode of "Is Eating People Wrong?" Immediately, you are so welcome. You are very welcome. If you were hopping on over from part one right away, hello once again. For those of you who maybe waited a bit, maybe let it sit, let it settle, okay, in your tummies, I'm just going to get right into it and remind you of where we are at, okay? We left off at part one with our ragtag crew of cannibalistic men barely surviving, barely holding on on the brink of death being rescued, okay, by a German freighter, and, and you know, right away, immediately upon their rescue, okay, and their rescue, meaning, like, German freighter spotted them, hauled all of them aboard, and actually hauled aboard the 13-foot rescue boat, okay, that was actually auctioned off, side quest, side note, this lifeboat was actually auctioned off a couple years ago, to somebody because apparently it had been preserved. Ew. Neither here nor there, okay? They, they hauled this lifeboat on, okay, and, and pretty much immediately our boy Captain Dudley was, was absolutely projecting red flags, right, onto everyone. Else. He was being super weird about the whole thing. Okay, and and it's not to say right that you would necessarily be able to hide what happened. You know, like you want to be honest and you want to say, hey, yeah, you know, shit hit the fan, it was life and death. We had to do this thing, but but for whatever reason, okay, from the very first moment that Dudley's skinny, barely hanging on to life, body flipped over that the side of that German boat. he was very candid and described as excited to talk about them having to murder Richard Parker, 17-year-old, and eat his flesh. He wouldn't stop talking about it. Okay, he wouldn't stop talking about it. He talked about uh, gruesome detail about drinking the blood, eating eating his liver, etc. And also, right when he got on board, the reason why the boat was even saved is because he said, wait a minute wait, you guys, I know we're about to pull away. Like he was like eating his first fucking meal that he's had other than a human body in weeks. Was like, wait a minute. Can you guys, do you mind, do you see that like piece of a rib and some flesh left on that boat? Do you mind hauling that on board for us real quick? Yeah, I want to make sure um, he has a proper burial, right? Which seems nice like in hindsight, but also he's just acting weird, right? He's acting like a fucking weirdo. And he's not really, you know, Acting like this is this is something um, that might give some people pause. He's very much talking about how you know obvious it was actually for Parker to have been the choice. He expressed at no time any guilt or like wow we were great whatever. He was like no yeah I'm super stoked about our choice to murder him. R.I.P. my boy Richard Parker. Um, Thank you so much. We survived. What's the big deal? Um, and obviously, right, maritime happenings, things that happen on the sea, aren't going to immediately, right, go, go straight to, to the legal authorities, the, the law authorities, okay? It takes about a month for them to make it all the way back to the UK, where they are met with the shipmaster, okay? His name is called, is, is Mr. Cheeseman, and pursuant to the Merchant Sipping Act of 1854, they have to meet with Mr. Cheeseman. Anytime there's a death, anytime there's a, tr- there's a moment, a tragedy, shipwreck, da da they have to meet with this fool, okay, the shipping master, to talk about what happened, all right, so that maybe they can make things safer afterwards, okay? But, but the problem, I guess, with Mr. Cheeseman, or it's a solution, really, if you want to look at it, he didn't really give a shit about the whole cannibalism thing. Mr. Cheeseman has a job to do, right? And his job is simply to make the seas a little safer or um, to take some moolah, to take some money from some of the rich criminals um, that are on the seas so that he can turn a blind eye. And all of these men, right, weren't really helping him out in that regard, okay? This wasn't really a big ship, obviously. It was a fucking dinging that they were found in. And all they were telling him was, okay, someone died, you had to eat him. Big news. Like, I don't give a shit. So he didn't really care. Okay, he didn't really care. Unfortunately for our boys Dudley um, and Stevens, when they were being interviewed, another another police officer, a local police officer who was merely interested in the buzz and the story, was there. Okay. His name is James Lafferty. He was a sergeant with the Foul Mouth, literally called Foul Mouth, Harbor Police Force. And in contrast to our boy Mr. Cheeseman, the shipping master, who didn't give a flying fuck about what was going on in the sea, James Laverty had had a bit of a soft heart. Okay, he had a bit of a soft heart, soft spot for justice. All right, he was a devout Methodist. He wanted to bring criminals to justice. And and you know, because word had spread very quickly. In in you know during the course of these interviews about the mignonette, all right, and its and its demise and the cannibalism that occurred, he decided to step in, all right. He decided to step in and listen to to these boys being interviewed after they were interviewed, all right. Mister Cheeseman, our boy, um, literally said, "I don't really give a shit," and he forwarded his report to the Board of Trade in London, and the Board of Trade looked at it and said, "Oh." Well, what are we supposed to do about this? And they forwarded the file from them to the Home Office. Capital H, capital O. Whatever. Apparently, the Home Office had the ultimate authority for the administration of courts and criminal prosecution at that time. Okay. So so basically, everyone was just hot potatoing this thing, you know, down the line. And and in the course of this, all right, during the course of these hot potato – we don't know what the fuck we're supposed to do with these fools, okay, who killed someone for sure um, – they were garnering a lot of local attention, national attention even, okay? These men were were heralded as heroes, as survivors, as men who had to do what they had to do to get by, right? And in during this celeb 15 Minutes of Fame moment – our boy Dudley did not hold back. Right in interviews with newspapers and interviews with multiple different um groups, departments, authorities, he described in detail about how he had killed Parker with his knife and had actually produced the knife during his story. Okay? Here, here it is. Here you go. And in this initial interview, okay, at least with the with with our boy Cheeseman, okay, our Cheesy Man, the sh- The shipfarer, the ship, the shipping merchant guy, James Lafferty, okay, while he was listening in and her- and was listening to a story, and Dudley whipped out his knife, James goes, "Oh my god, that's that's so crazy. Do you mind if I take that knife really quick, um, just like for safekeeping, like for reference, and Dudley, okay, thinking that there was absolutely no possible threat to him of any criminal action period because again the customs of the sea right the maritime unwritten rules he was totally fine and in the clear he gave it to James Lafferty when when James asked for it but told him specifically that he wanted to be sure that he got it back as a souvenir of the experience quote-unquote now now Lafferty (laughs) quote, found Dudley to be insufferable in his arrogant recounting of what went on board the Minoniets lifeboat, okay? He's pissed. He's like, you know what? Fuck y'all for real. Why are you bragging about this? This isn't funny. This isn't cool. This isn't chill. You murdered someone in cold blood. You're admitting to it. Yes, things were dire, but like we live in a society of rules and laws. What in the actual fuck? I can't let right, I'm not gonna let this fool like you couldn't like I'm not gonna let this stand. So so he on his own initiative goes above our boy Cheeseman's head, all right, and 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 obtains warrants for all all of these men's arrests, okay? And ultimately, all right, the only two individuals are Dudley and Stevens. Okay. They're the only ones who end up being arrested long term and actually tried for the murder of Richard Parker. This case is called Regina versus Dudley and Stevens, okay, for that reason. And, and you know, they were shocked. They were surprised. They were a little confused, for sure, considering that um, the, the survivors, okay, of the shipwreck were being treated to celebratory dinners by very famous captains and politicians in the area, okay, they were being interviewed. All all of these locals were just loving this, right? Thinking that this was so brave, so great. What's the fucking problem? You know, judges, law enforcement, they didn't want to arrest them. They were like, no, 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 these guys are fine. They're totally chill. But of course, our boy Lafferty, okay, our our local officer against crime requested specifically that the men be detained until such further guidance be received. And he was basically the final word. All right, so all of these guys were detained. A local lawyer named Harry Tilly uh, was retained, sought bail, basically argued, hey, they should be released on bail. What the fuck? And all of the magistrates look said, look, our hands are tied. Um, we have no option but to keep them in custody for a few more days until we receive instructions from, from the big head honchos, okay? So by... Wednesday. Okay, they were detained by like Monday, let's say. Okay, by Wednesday, the file, okay, the mignonette file that had initially been sent out by our boy Cheeseman had finally made its way through different levels of bureaucracy at the home office. And and the home office, even the senior officials were unclear on how to proceed. They have no fucking idea what, what to do.
2: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
0: no purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: They referred the matter directly to the desk of the home secretary himself, Sir William Harcourt. I don't know what those words mean either. Apparently, it's like the Supreme court shit. Okay. Apparently, it's like some big head honcho. Apparently, it's like the main fucking guy. Okay. And, and at this point, right, we all know public opinion was on the side of our cannibal, cannibalistic men. All right. And I'm not saying, Okay. I'm not necessarily casting an opinion to say public opinion should have been against them, no, not so much, but like let's not right have like a rain of parade with with candles and balloons and confetti and shit when like this wasn't look the difference between this, okay and and something that we've heard a lot about, which is like right, someone being forced to feed off of already passed away dead bodies okay the difference between those two things is that those bodies were already passed away okay and in this sense you are literally taking a life that you have somehow deemed as not not fit to not fit to stay and killed him in order to eat him that is the difference here okay that's the difference that we're that we're grappling with okay so at this point um everyone in the public had said no 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 You can't arrest them. These are the tried and true customs of the sea. Your laws don't work here. Murder is not not at hand. Quote, To depict these embattled men as common criminals rather than as reluctant heroes was considered outrageous. But, you know, I guess luckily for us, I don't know, luckily for literally criminal law as we know it, our boy Harcourt, okay, the main head of the land, was not interested in public opinion. He wasn't interested in a popularity contest. He said that he only cares about the letter of the law. And the letter of the law says that this is a murder, so they should proceed to prosecute. He 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 issued that order. And so all of them uh, were obviously arrested, stayed in jail, but their lawyer, okay, Harry Tilly, did manage to get them out for bail. Okay, did manage to get them out for bail And shockingly enough, while they were on bail, Richard Parker's brother, the eldest brother of Richard, appeared in his yachtsman outfit and made a point of publicly shaking the hands of all three fellow seamen upon their release from jail. So inflamed were people that a death threat was made against the mayor and ballads began to be sung about about our about to be prosecuted killers. I feel like that's a little dramatic, right? It's a little much. For sure a little much. I don't know. And if I were Richard Parker, I would haunt my fucking older brother to the fucking hills. Okay. I would make the conjuring look like the backyardigans. For sure. Because where are the loyalties here, right? You don't know the fucking circumstances. You don't know if I fucking agreed. You don't know what the fuck these men are agreeing that they murdered me. No. No, thank you. Fuck off. I'd be pissed. For your what? 15 minutes of fame? I'd be would be so fucking pissed. Anyways, Dudley of course, you know, is going on his press tour, sending letters to the London Times. He's super full of it. He says, quote, "He is being charged with an act which certainly was not accompanied by either premeditation or malice in the true sense of the word, as my conscience can affirm." Dudley, I don't know if we're all, I don't know if any of us are really resting on your conscience at this point, right? I don't know if any of us are really, are really betting on that at this point, but you know, whatever. So ultimately, Dudley and Stevens were committed to stand trial in November 1884. Okay. And from the get go, from jump, this trial was fucking weird. Okay. Everyone was breaking the fucking rules. One judge who was scheduled to hear the case stepped aside. He said he couldn't. And then the home secretary, all right, the guy who the main head honcho who said that, yes, we should prosecute. I care about the letter of law. He put in a more, quote, reliable judge, Baron Huddleston. So essentially, we're packing the court here. Like our boy home secretary absolutely wants a W on this. He wants these motherfuckers to be prosecuted and tried. He is pissed. It was giving pack the court a little, right? Like which is not really a great thing to do, but look, I'm just giving you the facts. Dudley and Stevens were ultimately represented by someone who was more high profile than our previous lawyer. Okay. Someone named Arthur J.H. Collins. He was a leading member of the bar and costly, right? Talented and costly had been paid by a generous defense fund that had, of course, been established by the yachting community. Because rich people. Love, love a yacht PR campaign for real. And Dudley did say, okay, that any surplus of this fund would be used to create a trust fund for Richard Parker's younger sister. Oh, that's cute. Why were you bragging about murdering him for the last like month? Thank you. So this is where the letter of the law comes into play. This is where it gets interesting for our purposes, for the legal world. They were tried, right, prosecuted, charged with murder. First-degree murder with intent. And the two accused, Dudley and Stevens, put on a defense saying they were not guilty by reason of necessity, the necessity defense. Now, the necessity defense as we know it, all right, and, and it has changed over the years for sure, but to give you a general overview, the defense of necessity requires That a person reasonably believe that the the commission of a crime was necessary to avoid an imminent and greater evil and that these actions will be effective in abating the greater evil. The defense of necessity is often used in, let's say, property trespass cases, right, where someone... Ha, ha, drives their truck through someone's yard ruins their entire yard because there's an emergency and they are fearful that if they don't get their wife to the hospital in time she's not going to make it and that was the only shortcut because the road was closed if they were tried right for destruction of property the defense of necessity could be raised in that instance right does that make sense the defense of necessity is not to be confused with self-defense or duress okay, necessity, self-defense, and duress are all three separate defenses, okay? So if you're thinking to yourself, well, necessity, obviously, self-defense, yeah, that there's a separate shit for that, okay? Duress, meaning like someone's literally holding a gun to your head and forcing you to do something, that's duress, okay? Necessity is different because necessity is often seen as something that is not forced or put on or present unless there are external, worldly, universe, God-type actions at play, not necessarily a person's actions, right? Like forcing you to do something. It's outside forces, all right? So at this point, okay, there, there was a lot of, of chit chat, There was a lot of controversy and very really no clarity on whether or not the necessity defense was available for murder, was available for actually taking an innocent person's life. Right. So in the beginning of this trial, right, they plead not guilty by reason of necessity. Okay, that was their defense. And so the prosecution goes first. All right. Normal per use. They obviously have a very limited but compelling case against against our boys. Uh, first of all, they they called everybody to stand who had ever heard uh Dudley and Stevens make their commentary, make their recaps of what had happened, including some men who were on the German vessel that rescued them, including our boy, Sergeant Lafferty. Okay. Our, our hero in waiting who could not wait to get on the stand and talk about all of the, the ways in which Dudley had described them murdering, um, Richard Parker, murdering him. And also the fact that they decided, right. They were full on. yep they they were not forced to do it. They decided to do it and that he was definitely alive before they started eating him and before they decided to murder him. Ned Brooks took the stand. Okay. He is one of the ones who is not being prosecuted because he claimed that he was, was neither here nor there about it. He just, he did not participate. He didn't participate. He did drink the blood, but like he didn't participate. So he took the stand. Um, and, and, Right confirmed basically all of the brutal gruesome details that Dudley had bragged about to everybody infinity about how he had stabbed this young man in his throat and how everyone else was holding him down so after that, the judge in this case, okay, the Baron Huddleston, who was basically shoved in there by our main guy, our house of whoever, the House of the Commons, the main guy who really wanted this case, tried and and a guilty verdict found he after the close of prosecution's case and right before the defense put on their case he says up everyone pause i'm actually holding right now that i will not hear any further argument on the defense of necessity as far as i'm concerned there's no law to support such a defense and that is a matter to be left to the appeal court so defense your turn and so obviously right Collins, our defense attorney for for Stevens and Dudley, is like, what the fuck? OK, well, I don't have much to say then. And, and then it all closed. OK, mindful of the public sentiment that was pushing in Dudley and in, in, in Stevens's favor. The judge also says, OK, well, I'm not going to let the jury give a solid guilty, no guilty verdict. I'm going to make them issue a special verdict. A special verdict meaning that they would simply, the jury would simply state the facts of the case as they found them and then leave it to a higher court to apply the relevant law. So they are not allowed to say with certainty whether they are guilty of murder. They're only allowed to basically give a narrative of the facts that they think they decided happened and then leave it to the court. To do, and this is obviously calling a major audible by the judge, who could see that he was about to take the L. Right, he could see that he he that that these two were definitely going to get off. Um, so he wanted to hail Mary it. Okay, this is very like not normal, and this is not chill. But yeah, that's what he did. So this is what the jury found. Okay, quote: If the men had not fed upon the body of the boy, they would probably not have survived to be picked up and rescued, but would within the four days have died of famine that the boy, being in a much weaker condition, was likely to have died before them, that at the time of the act in question there was no sale in sight nor any reasonable prospect of relief, that under the circumstances there appeared to be the one prisoner's every probability that, unless they fed or soon fed upon the boy or one of themselves, they would die of starvation, there was no appreciable chance of saving life except by killing someone for the others to eat, that, assuming any necessity to kill anybody, there was no greater necessity for killing the boy than any of the other three men. That's what they found. Upon receiving this verdict, okay, he renewed the defendant's bail. So he said, okay, you can go home though. And then adjourned to send this shit to the London's Royal Courts of Justice for November 25th, the day before my birthday. All right. And quote, in the intervening days, there was much legal wrangling about the appropriate procedure to be followed. Basically, the judges coming together to look at the facts that the jury found and then apply the law, OK, was delayed and then said, OK, um, here are our judges when normally there would be like, you know, maybe two or three judges, you yeah, know, five judges assembled at the divisional court of the Queen's Bench under the leadership of Chief Justice Lord Coleridge. And and of course, OK, everyone's like confused everyone's like, okay, this is weird, okay? We're just basically bringing, right, anything, anytime anything interesting, apparently, back then that happened in the courts, all the judges would call their buddies up and be like, yo, you need to see this. And be like, okay, period. Like, I want my name on the opinion. Okay, word. So they brought in five judges, okay, to basically convene to talk and 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 see what the vibes are going to be about this necessity defense and see about what, what verdict would be proper. And so, right, you would think, okay, there's this weird impromptu panel of five judges that are convening, very odd circumstances a special verdict was literally rendered off the cuff in the middle of this shit they weren't allowed as in the defendants weren't allowed to put on the defense of necessity this shit is weird this shit is bonkers if I were the defense attorney I would have objected to my fucking ears bled but in this case okay defense counsel Collins only had on the record mild objections to these happenings which kind of points to at this point that there was some kind of deal brewing for Dudley and Stevens based on what was going to happen. Okay. So, so it could have been that Collins was just placated by some backdoor talkings, right? Like, Hey, like just let us fucking do this shit. Let us do this shit. It's a big foundational case for the law. We really got to get this right. And Collins was like, okay, word. At this hearing though, okay, Collins, the defense attorney was allowed to argue the defense of necessity, argue that These were extreme circumstances that for the greater good, a measure of last resort should be permitted to murder someone else in cold blood in order to save other lives. So after their defense attorney made these arguments for the defense of necessity, okay, the court said, thank you so much. That was so amazing, so perfect. We're going to think on that, but we definitely convict. Unanimously, we convict you period, 100%, five out of five, five of us think you should definitely be convicted. You guys are guilty. We're going to issue our verdict later, like our opinion on why we think so later. And the defendants, Dudley and Stevens, were like, what the fuck? And they were sent back to prison to await the verdict. And, Or the opinion, okay? And the opinion itself is the thing that kept this bitch in law school textbooks for hundreds of years. Because the opinion addresses the overwhelming and broad scope public policy implications of the defense of necessity when it comes to a human life and taking a human life voluntarily intentionally premeditatedly okay in his opinion lord lord coleridge recognized quote how terrible their temptation was and how awful their suffering However, he was unswerving in his conclusion that the prisoners had killed a weak and unoffending boy for their own survival at the expense of his. The drawing of lots would have made no difference. He says, quote, and again, all of these quotes are from the book Is Eating People Wrong by Alan Hutchinson. Todd. Lord Coleridge stated in his opinion, quote, to preserve one's life is generally speaking a duty, but it may be the plainest and highest duty to sacrifice it. War is full of instances in which it is a man's duty not to live but to die. It is not correct, therefore, to say that there is an absolute and unqualified necessity to preserve one's life. In this case, the weakest, the youngest, the most unresisting was chosen. Was it more necessary to kill him than one of the grown men? The answer must be no. Snaps. Mic drop. Kind of love that. The court's reasoning, right, obviously concluded, and the murder conviction was confirmed, all right? Sentence was passed. To Dudley and Stevens' initial horror, they were sentenced but to death by hanging for capital murder. Um, but then the judges did say, mm, just kidding. We'll we'll let you off a little bit easier, right? We'll just give you a few months, okay? Uh, six months, actually. Imprisonment for your crime, and, and scurry along. And that's it. Dudley and Stevens served their sentence and were released from Holloway Prison on May 20th, 1885, almost a year to the day that they had left on their fateful voyage on the Mignonette. Obviously, since this case, the defense of necessity to a charge of murder has continued to occupy the attention and intellects of judges, lawyers, and theorists generally. The general response remains that the acknowledgement of such a defense to murder will do more harm than good, okay? It is preferable to treat it more as an excuse that goes to sentencing than a justification that goes to entire and complete guilt or innocence. The fear remains, quote, that it will open up a whole can of worms and people will be running to it in dubious and ever-broadening situations. In cases following Regina versus Dudley and Stevens follows this logic, okay? And in American law, we also follow this logic. There is no, and I mean no, defense of necessity or duress to a charge of murder, okay? First-degree murder and in, with intent, with premeditation and intent, okay? There just isn't. Even if someone, right, is holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to kill this person right now and you do it, still, I mean, yes, it, it's taken into account, okay, but it's not a complete defense to murder. If you have the intent and the knowledge and malice aforethought that is that is needed. Necessity and duress can be used for other lesser crimes. Pretty much most crimes that do not involve murder. Okay? Like the one that I explained to you, property damage, okay? DUI or like driving with a suspended license there have been cases like that where someone has hopped in the car to drive someone to the hospital on a suspended license and like defensive necessity was there since 1884 when all of this shit went down there has been a lot of controversy and talk on the defensive necessity in in current situations, but the overwhelming and obvious and very sound consensus that ultimately is reached is that it cannot be a defense to the taking of human life, okay? Innocent human life. There has been a successful defense of necessity used in California, actually. Um, I believe it was in potentially the 80s, uh, where someone actually successfully used the defense of necessity for prison break, for escaping prison because there was a riot going on and him walking out the door was quite literally the only way that he could avoid being killed captured by by the rioting crew and the court said yeah the jury can hear that defense that's totally fine seems fair so it's not to say that a defense of necessity isn't logically used sometimes but definitely fair for back in 1884 okay the English court to set the precedent that the American courts follow. All right, American English courts alike and Canadian, like I said, America doesn't take anything original ever. It always copies and pastes and our entire legal system is a copy and paste. And, and yeah, it took away boop, the defense of necessity from being a question to the crime of murder. Essentially, what everyone believes is that allowing a necessity defense to murder would open a door which no man could shut. Quote-unquote, 1979 case. <laughs> Richard Parker's tombstone can be found at Jesus Chapel in Peartree Green Churchyard near Southampton. It was erected and maintained by monies left over from Dudley and Stevens Defense Fund. Its inscription reads, quote, sacred to the memory of Richard Parker, age 17, who died at sea July 25th, 1884, after 19 days dreadful suffering in an open boat in the tropics having been wrecked in the Yacht yet. However, there are two biblical quotations at the end that make me think Dudley literally hand-carved the shit himself. Quote, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. From Job, the book of Job in the Bible. And Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. From the book of Acts. Um, Be so fucking for real. He's a fucking for real. Both Dudley and Stevens benefited from their moment in the spotlight. They were extended the coveted honor of having wax sculptures in Madame Tussauds in London made of themselves. Tom Dudley, okay, was anxious to get on with his life, right? I mean, he was the one yelling and screaming about having a wife and kids, so let's see it, right? Be the fucking breadwinner. He had his sailing certificate restored, but then unfortunately struggled to find work. I wonder fucking why, right? I wonder why if you're willing if you're going to be willing openly publicly willing to pull trig okay that quick on someone else even if it wasn't that quick right seems like a lot of days uh yeah I think people are gonna be like no yeah super happy that you got off but like we're good we're actually good on crew yeah so he contacted the owner of Yet, our boy Jack Wan and said hi please 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 help me and so he helped him immigrate to Australia where he set up TR Dudley and Company in Sydney and enjoyed success in sailmaking and yacht chandlery until his death. He was known by the locals as Cannibal Tom, because of course he was. As fate would have it, his prosperity and good fortune were short lived as he made history a second time. He was the very first Australian to die when the bubonic plague hit Australia in 1900. So, yeah. Our boy Dudley did have a, a timely demise only a few short years after this whole clusterfuck happened. Um, and there you have it. Now, Ed Stevens, okay, our other defendant who got out after six months of serving a sentence, he said, no, nah, I'm good. I don't really want to go to Australia. Fuck that, fuck that noise. He settled near Southampton and supported himself through odd jobs. Uh, he did return to sea on occasion which good for you, but he was an alcoholic and died in poverty in whole at the age of 65 in 1914. Ed Brooks himself avoided prison and for a short time traded off his fame by taking part in fairground freak shows as the man who has eaten another person. Good for him, I guess. He was soon back to sea. He stayed close to home and worked on the Isle of White Ferries and died in poverty in 1919. The only one. Of course, who seemed and very much was untroubled by the mean U-Net disaster was our boy, our boy, John Henry Wand. A yacht and only several hundred pounds poorer, he was elected to the New South Wales Legislative Assembly and went on to become the state's attorney general. He died a comfortable man in 1905. Of fucking course. My rebuttal on this case in conclusion is that we should all be on land more often, and if we aren't on land, we should all very much perform repairs on our vessels, take yachts that are large, in charge, and made of some kind of heavy metal, right? And also, not hire a captain named Dudley. And also, if we're going to have to eat somebody, let's not brag about it. Let's all come up with a plan. Let's call our lawyers before we call Mr. Cheeseman and our local policeman to sit in, right? Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up and call your lawyer. That has been my rebuttal. And that has been part two of this episode of the rebuttal podcast called Is Eating People Wrong? Thank you so much for joining. Please follow us at rebuttalpod on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Follow me at Ramezel on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. This podcast will be posted on YouTube. Follow our YouTube. Go check me out there. Watch my facials. Watch my arms. And thank you so much for tolerating me for a part two. Next episode will be next week. And maybe it'll be another murder. Maybe it'll be a kidnapping. I'm thinking the latter. Keep watching. Love you guys.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty,
2: 18 plus.